So uh, thank you both again for being with us today. Uh, we're speaking with um, Casey Lewis and Catherine McDowell, who are uh, commissioners and current co-chairs of the Structure and Details phase of the Police Accountability Commission. Um, and we're also joined by uh, Austin Foster, the Community Engagement and Communications Coordinator. Thank you again, all of you, for being with us today. Um, and thank you for having us. Absolutely. Uh, and so the Police Accountability Commission, which we'll also refer to as the PAC or the PAC, is wrapping up its fourth phase of work, the structure and details phase. Um, and unfortunately, the third co-chair of this phase, Charlie Michelle Wesley, wasn't able to be here today due to a scheduling conflict. Just to get into it, the uh, the membership of the PAC is intentionally diverse and includes commissioners with lived experience dealing with police, small business owners, community advocates, and activists. Um, could each of you just share with us a little bit about your background and what led you to volunteer for this work? Um, and just to referee um, Commissioner McDowell, do you mind starting? Sure, and thanks for that question. Um, so I have been on the PAC since its inception. Um, so I guess we started meeting um, in late uh, 2022. I was appointed as one of the representatives of the small business community. I have a um, women-owned law firm in downtown Portland, um, which I've been running for more than 15 years. So I volunteered in that capacity. My background um, that led me to um, having an interest in this subject matter, the subject matter of police accountability, is um, that I'm a lawyer and I, oh, it's December 2021 is what I've been corrected. Um, so sorry about that. It, it all blurs together a little bit after all these meetings. Um, but going back to my background, I'm a lawyer and uh, I have done a lot of civil rights um, work um, as a volunteer in the community. And um, since about 2016, a lot of that work focused on um, legal observing, um, particularly at protests. And um, that uh, in turn um, led me to focus on police directives around use of force around crowd control. And um, I got pretty involved in the process of how those directives came out, how police were actually being held accountable or not, uh, which was more often the case out of those protests. And that led me um, to both support um, the police accountability measure um, that led to our work and then to volunteer um, for the commission when that opportunity presented. My turn. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Commissioner Casey. I, I am one of the more recent members of the PAC, actually. Um, I joined in uh, towards the end of 2022, beginning of 2023. Um, I am a person with a mental illness. Uh, I The diagnosis has been something of a moving target throughout my life, but these days we think bipolar. Uh, and uh that is sort of the capacity in which I come to the pack uh, as a 
person who uh, has worked, is a member of that community and also has worked as an advocate uh, in that community. I was working as a disability rights lawyer at the time that I was appointed, uh, and now I'm working as a public defender in Washington County. Um, I also was a person who was uh, heavily involved in the 2020 protests. I spent a lot of time uh, witnessing firsthand uh, how our police behave themselves under the current accountability system uh, during that time. Um, and that was one of the things that really drove me to want to do this work. Um, I've also done a lot of work in criminal justice reform policy uh, in the Oregon legislature um, on sort of a state level. And so those are all the things that I have I have brought into this. And I was very grateful to get taken off the bench and given this opportunity to uh, join in the work that Catherine and all the other commissioners had already been doing for uh, more than a year when I when I came on board uh, and try to try to do my little bit to get it across the finish line. Two attorneys, you join a, a long tradition of uh, of uh, police accountability volunteers coming from the legal sphere. Um, thanks you both for sharing that that background with us. Um, one of the things that we've heard in the community listening sessions that you've been doing is that the community is still kind of lacking um, a real clear idea of what the Police Accountability Commission is building and what this system will look like sort of when it's done. And this last phase of work that you've been working on, the structure and details phase, is hammering out some of those details. Um, so now that you're almost wrapped up, um, can you tell us a little bit about what the various subcommittees this phase have been working on and specifically um, what the current picture is that's starting to come into focus? So um, I was going to defer to uh, Commissioner Lewis, but I'll just jump in and he can um, step in when um, when I'm through sort of an introductory um, piece of this. So we have um, three uh, different um, subcommittees that have um, been working in this um, phase of work. One has been on reporting and transparency, another on our staff, the oversight staff, and a third on the board. So um, we really, in our last phase, we figured out what the basic structure of the oversight body was going to be. And then this is the phase where we've tried to, as you indicated, fill in some of the details. So we have gotten through the, um, the reporting uh, subcommittee's work. It's been referred up to the full commission and the full commission has approved that um, uh, the statement that came or the plan that came out of that, um, the areas of agreement, I think is the term for it, that came out of that subcommittee. And basically that goes into um, really the expectation that there will be regular reports and that those reports will be robust, that there will be a, um, lots and lots of detail both about what the oversight board is doing and about the cases that come through the oversight um, uh, board. So, um, you know, we're taking, there is, you know, on, on this issue, IPR has a pretty good structure in the in city code right now for periodic reporting, but this really takes it up an, another level. So we're working off the current sort of reporting structure from the current oversight um, body and really taking it up a level in terms of both transparency and the regularity of reporting. So that's one piece of it. 
Then the other piece, um, I'm on the um, oversight staff subcommittee, so I can speak to that, and I'll turn it over to Casey to talk a little bit more about board membership. But on the oversight staff um, subcommittee, we have um, concluded our work and recommended, um, a, you know, a, a document that has our areas of agreement to the full commission, which will be reviewing it um, beginning next week, and that goes into, um, you know, quite a lot of detail, starting with. How does the executive director get hired? Who is that person? What qualities do we want to see in that executive director? And then from there, um, what, what really is the staffing of the agency? I mean, down to a fairly granular um, estimate around how, you know, whether we need investigators, whether we need folks to be um, crunching the data so that they can do the kind of reporting we're talking about. Um, navigators or advocates to help people get through the system, um, folks who can help us on diversity, equity, inclusion, and cultural competency. So we looked at that whole range of staffing and made recommendations on, on how, how the oversight board should um, manage its, you know, as a kind of a over as a general matter, what kind of structure should be in place for the staffing of the oversight board? And so I'll turn it over to Casey, who can talk a little bit about board membership. Certainly. So I am a member of the board membership subcommittee. Um, we've had some fantastic co-chairs who have been running that process. Um, and I think that the board membership and the uh, agency, the staffing uh uh, subcommittee have been working sort of very closely in tandem because that's kind of the core structure of what all of this is going to be. Um, I think one of the challenges you run up against trying to create a police accountability system is you need it to have the expertise and the support to be able to do its job and do it well, but at the same time you don't want it to be so entangled with the police bureau and with the city uh, that their decision making is affected. Uh, and the trust that the community has in the system is affected, which I think is really what we have right now. Um, so by creating sort of this bureau where we're going to have the professional staff that that subcommittee has worked on, but ultimately they are going to answer to this board that is made up of community members, uh, ultimately civilians, for lack of a better term, uh, are in charge of this oversight uh, system. And that's how it was really envisioned in the initial measure that was passed. And so the work of the board subcommittee has really been determining what that board is going to look like. And I think it's been with an eye to the fact that none of this works if the community doesn't trust the board. Um, ultimately, one of the biggest things that we are trying to overcome is a lack of community trust in the system based on the fact that the people who are at the highest level making the decisions um, are people who are not necessarily trusted by the community or may have their own agendas in those decisions that are being made. Um, so when we are coming up with what we want this board to look like, um, it's with an eye towards how do we make it look like the community um, how do we make sure that the viewpoints of over-policed populations are really incorporated into it um, and that the sort of intersectionality um, of communities uh, such as immigrant communities, um, indigenous people of color, uh, black communities, communities with mental illness, um, the various communities who sort of have 
uh, difficult experiences at the hands of the police uh, feel like this is a board that they can come to and feel like this is a board that they can bring their complaints to and hopefully get them addressed both at an individual level, but also at a greater policy level, um, making sure not just that what happened to you is addressed, but that it doesn't happen again. Um, and so I think that that is that getting into sort of those nuts and bolts um, has been really uh, helping frame all the work we've been doing so far. Uh, and I think that as as all three of these subcommittees have done their work, it's been really uh, heartening uh, to feel like we're starting to really be able to picture what this is going to look like. Kind of going back to the to the larger picture, um, there are so many pieces of the police accountability system that currently exist in Portland and. You know, there's IPR, the Independent Police Review, which Commissioner Catherine mentioned. Um, there's also the Citizen Review Committee, which is under IPR. There's inter the uh, Police Review Board or the PRB. Um, there's intake happens at IPR. It also can happen in the Police Bureau itself. It can go into internal affairs. So there's all these different parties investigating, all these different parties evaluating. Is it fair to say, I think one of the, this is a long introduction to saying, like, I think one of the things that I hear is people are like, oh, we've been thinking that there's going to be a board, but now you're talking about staff and investigators and all that stuff. And so I think kind of like uh, one of the things that that can har be hard to keep in your head together is the fact that we're, you're talking, is it fair to say that you're talking about replacing nearly all of that with with one new entity? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think that two of the sort of mandates that we have heard um, from all of the work that's gone into looking at best practices um, and from a lot of our outreach to the community and everything uh, is that simplicity is something that is needed and transparency is something that is needed. Because one of the reasons that the current system doesn't work is that people feel like it's impossible to navigate. People feel like they don't know what happens to complaints once they sort of disappear into this, like you said, sort of morass of all these different committees who have veto power over each other and can bounce complaints back and forth to each other. Um, and we really want to turn this into a system where if you have a complaint you understand exactly how you're going to get from point A to point Z. Uh, you have people who are going to walk you through that. Um, and it's something that can be explained to a community member, um, explained to the police officers who are going to be held accountable by it um, relatively simply so that people feel like they are not sort of walking into the, the tall grass when they, they enter this system. Yeah, I, I would just add that um, that really is what the um, the measure contemplated, that we replace this sort of, um, you know, system that had many different um, components, some of which appeared at least to many in the community to be um, uh, dependent on the police or within the police um, and 
replace all that with an independent um, oversight board. And so we really just, um, you know, the city council charged us with implementing this measure according to its terms. And that's what we've been trying to do. So we're basically building um, a single system that would allow um, all complaints um, to really funnel through, you know, a single intake point, a single place for investigation, a single place for hearing and appeal. Um, you know, obviously there are some complexities still associated with collective bargaining and arbitration processes. Those are outside of, um, you know, the, the scope of the measure and not something that really, you know, we have to build around that. That's not something we can change. But to the extent that we can consolidate all of these other pieces of the system into one um, more user-friendly um, uh, entity. That's that was what the measure contemplated, and that's what we have been working over the last year or so to design. I did want to jump back really quick to the uh, reporting piece. I'm just curious what the current status is of the level of confidentiality that is going to be involved in these reports. I know, like currently with. Uh, PRB memos, which were just recently re-added to the city's website, they go into not much detail about, like, if you're not aware of the situation, then you have, it's really hard to figure out who's being talked about, you know, Officer A, Officer B, Complainant A. Are you kind of expecting reports to refer to people in a similar way, or is there more information that's going to be released with that? So I think the answer to that question is it is the priority of all of the members on the commission for everything that the uh, new accountability system does to be as transparent as legally allowable. How legally allowable it will be allowed to be, we are going to be having um, independent legal counsel come in and advise us on a few things in the coming months. Um, and I think that's probably one of the things that we're going to have a lot of questions on. Um, but I think that it is a priority for us to really push for a more transparent system because I think we recognize that as one of the big failings of the current system. Yeah, if you look at our recommendations, they often will say something like to the full extent allowed by law or as, uh, you know, as as transparent as allowable under current law, which then allows us at the end of um, our work, as we do confer with um, our independent counsel, to figure out what exactly that means. And so we've, rather than try to figure that out every step as we go, like, you know, what is the full extent of transparency allowable, for example, we just wrote it that way with the idea then at the end, we go back and figure out, well, what, what does that mean? How far can we go on those issues and still be compliant with state law and collective bargaining agreements? And that's what we'll just be filling in and really the final phase of our work. Uh, going back to something you both mentioned um, about keeping your the work that you're doing consistent with what the voters voted for. Um, you had a Q&A with City Commissioner Renee Gonzalez last week, and um, one of the things that struck me about uh, his visit was him, I think it was 
Commissioner Casey, I think it was you who asked, what will you be looking at? What will you be looking for when this proposal eventually comes before city council? And he said that the first thing that he would be looking for was that it was con- it was was fidelity to what the voters voted on. Um, he then p- put in the little caveat as best as be- can be interpreted right now. Um, and he went on to mention, uh, you know, say things like, where the city's in the worst place it's been in in 25 years in terms of public safety and the need to um, make sure that nothing about this new oversight system impacts uh, recruitment efforts and is consistent with uh, the public safety that the city needs. So I'm wondering if in the work that you're doing and in your perspective as commissioners, and you've talked to a lot of people in the city and in the community at this point, um, do you believe that there is any sort of conflict between what the voters approved, the system that you've been building, and the city's current need with regard to public safety? A short answer, no. Uh, I believe that the system that we are building is absolutely going to improve public safety. Uh, I will say, I forgot to mention when I was talking about my background, when I first came out of law school, I worked as a prosecutor. Uh, So I have worked with a lot of police. I have police in my family. um, And I genuinely believe that uh, the kind of people we want to be police will be happier doing their jobs if they feel like they are being held to the highest standards possible. If they feel like they are part of a system that will support them when they are doing well and will correct them when they are doing harm, whether inadvertently or deliberately. And at the same time, I think it is can be deeply demoralizing, particularly for new police officers, when they see their coworkers acting in ways that are contrary to what are supposed to be the values of the police and getting away with it or getting you know lost in this system that eventually allows them to be uh reinstated with full pay um i mean i think we'll probably end up talking about the the recent story where we had a portland police officer who as far as we can tell the Police Bureau didn't even know whether he was showing up to his shifts during the time that he was working. Um, But I don't think that's a recipe for good morale. I don't think that's a recipe for good recruitment and retention. Um, And it's certainly not a recipe for public safety because when the community doesn't trust the police, they're not going to call the police. Um, They're not going to feel like um, the police are going to be responsive to their needs. Uh, and ultimately, a police bureau that doesn't have the trust of its community uh, and is not able to work with uh, community members is not going to be effective at its job, no matter how many police officers you manage to recruit, no matter how many fancy gadgets you give them. Uh, it won't, it will never, they'll never have the ability to do the job the way it's supposed to be done. Yeah, I'll just add that, um, you know, when we um, tune in to the um, status conferences that Judge Simon has about the settlement agreement with the Department of Justice, there's, I don't think there has been a conference in, um, you know, the recent past where Judge Simon doesn't say we cannot achieve public safety in our community if we don't have 
a police force that the community trusts. And so, you know, he's that is his guiding principle as he's working to get the city in compliance with the settlement agreement. And I, you know, I think that, um, you know, I was pleased to see that that came up in our discussion last week with um, Commissioner Gonzalez, that there is no, um, there's no um, conflict, there's no, you know, either or between um, community safety and police accountability. The two things go together and you cannot have one without the other. So that's with respect to um, community safety, I, I believe that this work is all about trying to enhance um, the safety of our community. And with respect to fidelity to the measure, um, I mean, I, I will just say the measure is expansive and um, the city council in giving us our charge um, gave us, you know, basically a charge designed to implement the measure, you know, almost word for word. And that charge is um, significant and broad and challenging enough that I we really, I mean, it's all we can do to get that done in the 18 months um, that we've been given to do it. We have until, under the settlement agreement, we have until October to complete the agreement. The city has given us until August now to complete it, um, to complete our work. So really it's a, you know, it's a significant undertaking to, um, to accomplish what the city has asked us to do through its charge and the charge just mirrors the measure. So um, I would just say that, you know, we don't have the luxury of going outside um, the scope of our charge because, you know, it's all we can do just to complete that charge and get it done and done well in the time we've been given. So I would say um, to the extent that we have the, you know, along the course of our work saw things that, well, this would be good and this would be consistent. It's not necessarily called for by the measure, but it's something that other communities are doing and we should consider it. We have made, you know, we sort of have a standing list of like additional recommendations, but those are really separate. The core of our work is, is about implementing the measure, which is what the city's charged us um, was about. So we're hearing um, Commissioner Gonzalez talk about uh, fidelity to the measure. I was pleased to hear that because I think that's how we have viewed our work. That's really been um, what has guided us over the last um, year or so as we've done this this effort. So the, the last two weeks especially have seen multiple stories emerging concerning police accountability in Portland. And I'm thinking about uh, things like the re reinstatement and subsequent resignation of former PPA president Brian Hunsaker, which you brought up, um, a Rolling Stone article that came out about excessive police use of tear gas in June 2020 and like exactly how severe of an event that was, um, not only for public safety, but public health. Um, and there was the quarterly draft report from the independent monitor for the DOJ, the Kokel, um, the Rosenbaum group, uh, which highlighted ongoing issues in the Portland Police Bureau with internal oversight, failure to report excessive force complaints, inadequate information presented at police review board hearings, anonymous racist comments posted about training, uh, LGBTQ trainings that people had to attend. Um, these aren't unusual stories in Portland. They've been going on for a long time. A lot of them predate the DOJ. Um, so how might, how might this new civilian-led oversight system produce different outcomes in these situations? Um, 
like what what changes in approach and changes to practices uh, could potentially prevent similar issues from arising in the future. I think it's your turn to go first, Catherine, if you want to. Yeah, well, there's there's a lot there. And um, I think the um, I guess I would just start with. Um, you know, the basic premise of the measure was to create um, an oversight authority that was independent of the police bureau so that the police bureau was not monitoring itself. And I, I think um, there's a lot in what you just went through that um, demonstrates that the current practice of the police um, holding itself accountable and investigating itself is just not working. We continually, um, you know, these these issues continue to come up, and um, un, you know, every time they do, they further undermine the trust between um, the police and the community. So, the you know, the core um, principle of the measure and the you know the core focus of our work is creating um, an independent body, a body independent of the police um, uh, bureau that is um, community-led and um, community-focused to um, oversee um, the police bureau, both from a policy standpoint and from um, an investigation of individual complaints standpoint. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that just creating that independence and implementing what the voters agreed made a lot of sense here, we'll start to get at um, some of the problems that um, you just went through and will you know, create basically a new beginning, I, I hope, for the community and the police going forward. Um, so Casey, maybe you can, there's a lot in that question that you know, starting with independence, I think is the, that's the beginning of the answer. I'm sure there's a lot more that Casey can add. Certainly. I mean, I think that really is the key is having a process that people can trust. Um, and I mean, I think that the recent article that came out about the Cocoa Report and particularly the anonymous comments that were made in response to an LGBT training was such a um, textbook example of why the current system doesn't work. Um, and the thing that really sort of raised alarm bells in my head is that the police bureau didn't seem very concerned about it. Um, and their official response was basically, well, people get offended by everything these days. So who knows if it's even offensive what that person said. I mean, imagine being a Black community member and having a police officer stop you or pull you over or something like that and not knowing whether or not that police officer is one of the ones who made racist and white supremacist comments um, and may have those beliefs and may be carrying those into this situation that they are bringing you into against your will um, when they've got a gun on their hip. Um, imagine being an LGBTQ community member um, and not knowing if there are still police officers out there who are scoffing at the idea of uh using proper pronouns and scoffing at the idea of even treating trans people with respect. Um, that's just not a tenable system, but it seems to be a system that the police bureau is fine with continuing um, because they just don't prioritize um, that community trust. Uh, they still, after, after more than 10 years of this settlement agreement, 
um, after everything that happened in 2020, uh, after all of the press that you've talked about happening just in the last week, and this is not necessarily a uh, outlier week in terms of the kind of press the Portland Police Bureau gets, the fact that they still have not been able to basically recognize that there's something that they need to be doing differently um, is really uh, frightening. And I think shows that there is a need for there to be some sort of outside organization that can step in and say what is right and what is wrong. Um, and that's really what what this needs to be. Um, because, you know, I, I don't think that self-policing was ever going to work, uh, but it has certainly been given a fair shot. They have been given plenty of time to recognize their mistakes and try to do better. Um, and I think that you would have to be completely unable to recognize reality to think that it has been effective in any way. I, th I think that uh, unwillingness at self-reflection is also something that uh, community members probably feel when they bring complaints against the police to either the independent police review intake system or the police's intake system. And so another one of the pieces that really strikes me as having a lot of potential to make a difference for the community is the advocacy piece and the idea that um, not only will the people who uh, have interactions with the police that they want to file complaints about not have to go to City Hall or not have to go to the Portland Police Bureau um, is the other piece that there the potential that there will be people in place, um, specialists, caseworkers who have the ability to help people who um, are houseless or who are living with mental health issues uh, be able to navigate the system effectively. Can you talk a little bit about what that piece would look like? That's one that I'm particularly interested in because actually before I was a member of the Police Accountability Commission, uh, I was one of the people who they invited in to talk to them uh, as a member of the Mental Health Alliance, uh, myself and Amanda Marshall, who is a fantastic attorney who works down in Clackamas County uh, and does a lot of work with people with lived experience with mental illness. Uh, we came in and talked about what we saw as primary barriers, and that was really one of the things that we focused on um, because in the current system, it's difficult to navigate if you are a person with a lawyer and the time and resources to be able to take every step and follow all of the things they want you to do, dot every I, cross every T. Um, if you are a person who has a job, um, if you are a person who, like you said, is houseless or otherwise um, marginalized and maybe has a healthy skepticism of authority, um, I can't imagine trying to get through everything that you need to get through to even just have your complaint heard by the right people, um, let alone having to possibly appeal it um, and understand sort of why the why the result reached was the result that was reached. So I think for me particularly, one of my um, big priorities has been um, that understanding that people who bring complaints aren't always going to get the results that they want, even if those complaints are completely justified. Um, that's just, unfortunately, the way that the system can work sometimes. Um, but I want people to not, I want people to not be deterred from bringing complaints in the first place. Um, and then when they do bring those complaints, I don't want them to feel 
um, intimidated, overwhelmed, disheartened um, throughout the process. And then by when they get to the end of the process, even if they don't get the result they want, I want them to understand why they got the result that they want. Um, and so I think that's really been a priority for the entire commission. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we uh, think that there's it's important to have sort of this advocacy and sort of this navigator element to it. Um, because ultimately it's sort of it's it's a procedural justice issue. It's trusting getting people to trust trust the system uh, and trust that uh, good, bad, or mediocre, um, the system worked the way that it was supposed to in, in addressing your complaint. Uh, Austin brought up that the city staff is currently working on a animation video to explain the complaint process for the new system, which is that, so Jasmine and I, five years ago as third party nerds who are not trying to actually make a complaint could barely find something that explained the workflow of the system and eventually found this like thing that was hidden on the city website and it's already out of date by the time we found it just an extremely confusing one page document um and so i think that something like that is uh without making qualitative statements is definitely a quantitative change in what's available to people um, just to even understand what they're getting into. Um, that's not really a question, but I just wanted to point that out from the, from the chat here. Yeah, I, I appreciate you lifting that up. I mean, when we, in our first um, couple of phases of work, it was mostly, you know, talking to all of the stakeholders and interested parties, people who had all the background on what was going on in the city and then researching, um, you know, what what are the best practices in other jurisdictions? What are the barriers to avoid? So that's where we began our work. And so we were, you know, I mean, our, our, we were sort of swimming in it all. And I remember just, could I, could somebody just give me a flow chart? And, you know, then um, I got what I wished for and it was a flow chart that just made no sense. It was so complicated and had so many arrows and so many boxes and was multi-page. I mean, it just, um, there's something wrong with the system if it cannot be reduced to a flow chart that, people can understand. And I, I'm happy to say that we, in our third phase of work, we were really building kind of the structure of the new system. We did, in some ways, test our work by seeing if it could, if it was, you know, something that could actually um, be reduced to a flowchart that made sense to all of us. And I'm happy to say that um, we did that exercise and the flowchart makes sense. It's a pretty straightforward when you know when you can consolidate all of these functions under one, you know, entity, it does make it a lot more straightforward. So, um, you know, between the navigator function and then just some structural reforms, I, I think it will be a much more user friendly system. And, you know, I just want to stress that it isn't it isn't just, um, you know, people who are unfamiliar with like the legal system or just kind of government process, you know, it's, there's also, um, you know, people approach these, these situations, the, the desire to file a complaint typically with some trauma. I mean, it's, these aren't easy situations that people have been through. And one of the things that has struck me in our community listening sessions is, 
is the, um, you know, the people who've had really bad experiences with police around sexual harassment um, and, and the challenges, the particularly difficult challenges of bringing those complaints and the need to have, um, you know, a, a navigator that has that's trauma-informed that has sensitivity around managing those issues because otherwise the you know the experience of bringing that complaint is just re-traumatizes the person and is a great deterrent to that complaint ever being brought so we're really working not just to have this to so for people who are maybe unsophisticated or don't understand you know how to make a government system work for you they can get through it but we're also trying to do to provide support for people who, who would just find the the um, the challenges associated with actually prosecuting a complaint to be just too great for them to handle emotionally or mentally. We're trying to provide support so that everybody who has a complaint can be heard, and um, that we make sure that um, when an injustice has been done, that um, a remedy is is provided. This has been a, a really great conversation. Appreciate uh, you being with us today and all of your thoughtful answers and your work. Uh, is there anything that we haven't discussed um, today that you would like to talk about? I would just encourage anyone who listens to this to get involved, reach out to us, bring us your opinions, bring us your thoughts, look at the things that we've done so far. Um, we it's really important to us that this be a community endeavor, a community effort, uh, not just because that's the right thing to do, but also because this system isn't going to work um, without buy-in from the community. Um, and frankly, we can we can create a great structure um, and hand it in a nice package uh, to the city council. Uh, and if the community doesn't stay involved, if we don't have people who are applying for these board seats um, and people who are keeping this board honest um, and people who are actually bringing complaints and testing the new system and helping us find its strengths and weaknesses and make it better. I mean, this is going to be a living system. And it's our hope that this is going to be a system with a lot more um, endurance and resilience than some of the previous accountability systems. We we want this to still be in place a decade from now, um, and we want it to have made a big difference in our community. Um, but if if it just sort of is allowed to kind of operate without, without any interaction with the community, um, I don't think that'll be the case. So I just would really uh, encourage and implore people to be involved, not just in the creation of this board, um, but in uh, the implementation uh, and in sort of the lifespan of it as it as it goes on uh, into the years. If somebody hasn't yet uh, engaged with the Police Accountability Commission, if they haven't been into the in, in, to any of the meetings or anything like that, what do you think is a good place to start? I'll kick that to Austin. Hi, everybody. Um, Austin, I use she, her pronouns. Um, a great place to start for community who wants to get involved is um, we have our website, portland.gov backslash police dash accountability, and you can go on there and sign up for our um, email list in which you can receive some of our upcoming events and things like that, as well as like monthly summaries. But I think just diving in and starting to watch some of the uh, commissioner meetings that we have, we meet 
every Thursday and Monday night on Zoom. Most Thursday and Monday nights we are meeting. Um, and you can find all the access to those meetings to watch on Zoom on our website. And you can also um, submit public comment. So if there is something that you want to write in and suggest to the commissioners, um, you can also find the public comment form on our website. So um, we also have a YouTube channel. So if somebody really wants to like nerd out and dive in, you can go to our Police Accountability uh, Commission Portland YouTube channel and you can see every public meeting we've had. We've had um, 100 meetings to date. Um, and we even have one, you know, in an hour tonight. So there are lots of ways to get involved. And if uh, if if technology is not your thing, we also have in-person community engagement events that we're doing about monthly at this point, but you would need to sign up for email to be able to um, figure out when those are happening so that I can reach out to you. So really there's a lot of different ways to get involved. It just depends on, on what your uh, ability level is for that, but we would love to have some more community engagement and, and feedback as we're going into um, kind of transitioning out of this fourth phase of work and into the fifth phase and really doing, we're going to be trying to do a lot more like presentation info sessions for the community of like walking through what we've put together so far, what our policy looks like and actually getting like live feedback from the community in that moment versus these very um, in the weeds, like heavy meetings that we do every Monday and Thursday, where it's just, it's, it's writing city code, it's writing policy, like that's not everybody's cup of tea. And so an easier way to digest it can sometimes be coming to these, these like info sessions and presentations that we'll be doing um, starting in May. So, yeah. One, one quick follow-up question before we move on to Commissioner Catherine um, is there are also some opportunities in these community listening sessions for people to engage without having to put their names on the public record and without having to have their responses recorded. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, 100%. If you are a human who does not feel comfortable giving uh, your name, um, we have the ability at these sessions, like your name, you can stay anonymous if you want to. Um, in the online public comment form, you do have to give your name and email, but you are more than happy to not use your real name and make up a email address if you want to have just a PAC email address um, where all of your police accountability commission um, info goes. So yeah, we are all about trying to provide space and make it safe for people to show up in this work and um, feel like they can come participate in this and not be targeted uh, afterwards is really important. Trying to make as safe a place as possible or a safer space. Um, in fact, uh, I just got trauma and de-escalation training done um, by a private contractor that I hired um, last week. So that was really, really impactful for our unit. Thanks for that. Uh, Commissioner Catherine, did you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, maybe um, it would be helpful to just talk about what's ahead for the pack, just as kind of a way of um, uh, letting folks know we've talked a lot about what we've done, the research, the investigation of both what's happened here and in other jurisdictions. And then in the last two phases, really trying to build the structure and then fill it in in this current phase. So next phase is the transition phase, which is the um, we figure out how do we get from 
what we have now to what we have designed. And that is, there is just some nitty gritty um, stuff associated with, you know, how do we, what's our proposal for implementing um, that change? So that'll be, it's a pretty interesting um, uh, area. And I think one in which we have already gotten a fair amount of feedback around, um, think about how to simplify this landscape um, with, you know, there's not just the complexity of the current accountability system, but there's all these advisory boards and commissions and committees that they're hard to keep track of. So I think the idea is to try to um, both figure out how we are transitioning to the new board and maybe rationalize the, the entire landscape. Who's, who's got what function and what and how should that continue? So, so that'll be a pretty interesting phase. That's our next phase that will begin um, pretty shortly next month. And then our final phase is where we just, we have the package and then we go to the community for final feedback. And that's really where it will be important for people to tune in. That's gonna be in the July and August timeframe where I know people will be busy with um, hopefully some sunny weather and some um, you know time to get outdoors, but hopefully people will find time to focus in on this a little bit because that's the time where we will have basically the package put together and we'll be asking folks, this is our draft, help us fine tune it um, before we submit it to the, to the city council in, at the end of August. So that's the sixth phase is where we're gonna be doing kind of some technical checks, but also going to the community with the draft and then taking both the feedback that we get from the community, feedback from lawyers and others, and then putting together our final draft that goes to the city council in August. So hope that helps people understand where we are in the process and where the end is. It can feel like um, interminable. So I just want people to know it's not. We really do have some very discrete tasks ahead. And we've gotten through, I think, the really the, the core part of our work. And now we're just um, in sort of the wrap-up phases and the phases where it will be really helpful to get the kind of community feedback that Commissioner um, Casey talked about. So um, I want to thank you all for helping us get the word out to the community and for continuing to follow our work. It's It's been, you know, your help in um, uh, having us get the word out to the community is just invaluable. Thank you so much. Well, and thank you all for the work that you're doing and for um all the volunteer hours that you're putting into this um, and work hours in Austin's case. Um, and we really appreciate you all being here to talk with us today. Um, and Jasmine, did you have anything to add? No, I just wanna, wanna echo what Sam said. Really appreciate you being with us to chat. Really appreciate the, the depth and thoughtfulness of your answers and um, Good luck with the next couple of months. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It was lovely to meet both of you and we'll, I'm sure, talk again as, as the process <laughs> continues.